If you love the New York City Marathon and have been thinking about joining the Supporters Club, now is your chance. This is like a mini New York City preview podcast today. The big podcast will come on Friday after we talk to all the athletes in New York. If you want to hear it, you got to be a Supporters Club member. But if you've been on the fence, sign up today for a year. If you then don't like it, cancel. You can keep your t-shirt and I'll refund your money. There it is. got to sign up by Friday. If you don't sign up by end of the day Friday, this offer is off. Sign up today. An extra podcast every week. And that podcast, we call it the Friday 15, but usually it's like 45 minutes, sometimes an hour, sometimes 30 minutes, minimum 15 minutes. Get a private forum on the message board, exclusive content, and big savings in running shoes. The best club in running, and it pays for itself. If you want to join the supporters club, do it today. Let's run.com slash subscribe. Welcome to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. It's New York City Marathon Week. And Let's Run.com will have boots on the ground in New York ahead of the big race this weekend. How much does Galen Rupp have left? Can Helen O'Berry win in her debut? Will the course records go down? Plus, one of the great teenage prospects in the world has returned to action. Do you even know who she is? Controversies at both the NYRR and USATF. Will there be a USATF, any USATF championships in 2023? And did you know that incoming NYRR board chair Nina Lynch served a drug ban in the 1990s? And that the NYR Twitter account has fallen for a tweet from the Babylon Bee? All of that and more on this week's show, including talk of the great King Chez. This is Robert Johnson, and welcome you to the show, joined as always by my identical twin brother and genetic equal, Weldon Johnson as well as ace staff writer, Jonathan Galt. If you want to reach us, unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, pick up the phone, 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. We're recording this on the day after Halloween. Happy Halloween, guys. Jonathan, you're a young single guy. Halloween's always a big time of year for single people, I think. Excuse to have a little bit too much to drink, have some fun. What did you dress up as this year? Halloween, yeah, it's also an excuse for people like you to pry into my personal life, as you like to do, Robert. But anyway, I dressed up on Friday. I went to a Halloween party. I was a banana, rather strapping banana, I'd like to say. Uh, then last night, went out to a bar, played some pub trivia, got the victory. Didn't dress up that time, but yeah, it was nice. Nice seeing some of the trick-or-treaters walking around my neighborhood. Um had a good time. What's it, what's it like? I mean, if you consider me young, I guess you must be old. What's it like being an old person? Did you guys go trick-or-treating with the kids? It was awesome. This was the first year my son was really into it at four. I'm going on five. And he had a kick-ass dragon costume that my wife got him. All the kids are like, you've got the best costume. And we went, we drove down to DC, went out with four other kids. Man, he would sprint from house to house. And he's not sweet-oriented. Like, he just liked to ring the door bell and say trick-or-treat. Like, one lady's like, you didn't get any candy. And he just ran off to the next house. So it was it was really a lot of fun to, to uh, 
And I think he got a lot of training in, John. Hidden fart like pretty much. You know. Well, that sounds delightful. I'm glad you had a good time. What Weldon, what about you and your daughter? Interesting. Robert always talks about how great Baltimore is, and he didn't even go trick-or-treating there. It's probably a different conversation to have. It was great, John. I don't think Robert realized this. My parents were here. Those are Robert's parents as well. My daughter seems to get what Halloween is. She was supposed to be Curious George. Now this could be the man in the yellow hat. But somehow yesterday we couldn't find her Curious George costume. But she was Curious George earlier on Thursday. So yesterday she was the fairy, candy fairy apparently, because she was giving out candy as well. So some other kid said she was a candy fairy. Good times, good times. You know, wrapped up and done by about 6.30 when you got a two-year-old. I'm assuming you get to see a lot of those candy returns well in the two-year-old she can't be eating a lot of candy you probably made out like a bandit here yeah she probably ate too much candy last night she woke up an hour earlier than usual she ever has in her life today but my wife has already instructed me the candy is gone and i mean oh great that means it's with me and i realized i'm an amateur dish though you got to train the kids you know when they go in there and there's like an almond joy and a reese's you got to grab the reese's she wants the almond joy uh, this is a take that might get me canceled and thrown off the podcast. I'm sorry. I, I just don't care for Reese's. I, I like peanut butter. I like chocolate. The substance that's in Reese's is not peanut butter. It's a crumbly pale imitation. I don't think it's a good candy. It's not for me. No one asked what I dressed up as. When as a ghost. Weldon remembers I always went as a ghost when I was a kid. And my wife purchased two ghost costumes for herself and myself. Um, which was good because I thought my face needed to be covered. Like my wife thought there might be an age limit that you can no longer dress up for Halloween. But I was kind of disappointed. In the end, she made the call that I was not allowed to wear the mask. Wearing a white hood may be viewed as controversial in the year 2022. I'm like, honey, it's a ma- it's a ghost cop. She's like, no, nah, we're in a really liberal part of town. But then that prevented me from going from house to house because if I had the, the hood on, or the hood's not the right word, the mask top, I could have gone trick-or-treating myself with my child. But acting like a little kid, you know, trick-or-treat. If you're accompanying the kid, it's fine to dress up, but you yourself should not be asking for candy. That's the ruling. <sighs> you think they'd notice because I was six feet tall? Well, I did see a picture of Tom Brady. He went around with his kids trick-or-treating and he had his face covered. I'm like, I guess that's what you have to do if you're Tom Brady. You go trick-or-treating. You can't have your face out in the open or people know And I had you. several houses offering me free beer. So it was kind of fun. That's awesome. All right. Anyway, enough about trick-or-treating. We have a big-time race on Sunday, the New York City Marathon. I'll be there. Weldon will be there. I don't know if Robert will be there, but we're going to have a good time. And looking at the entries here, we're going to try to figure out why should we be excited for this? What's going on in New York? What are the storylines we're going to be following? New York, usually the way they assemble their fields is not always the deepest or the fastest, but there are, they try to get some big names. They try to get some things that people are going to be talking about. I guess I want to ask you guys what stands out to you i think i'm kind of more interested by the america the races for top american or the american athletes because 
There are some top international athletes in this field. Helen O'Beary is debuting. We got the world champ, Godi Tom Gebreslas from Ethiopia. Edna Kiplagat, who is probably going to be the 2021 Boston Marathon champion. She's in here. And we've got Albert Correa, defending men's champion. Evans Chabat, the Boston champion on the men's side. There are some top athletes, but I'm kind of more interested in what's happening in the American races. Galen Rupp runs his first New York City Marathon. Is he still the top dog on the U.S. side? On the women's side, Des Linden, Emma Bates, Alphine Tulliamuk, Stephanie Bruce, Nell Rojas, Kira D'Amato. That's a lot of the top athletes in there. Who's going to be the top one? And Abdi Abdurrahman, the five-time Olympian, 45 years old. This is going to be his final professional marathon. It might be severing the final link Weldon has to the current sport. I'm curious about that. Like, Wait, is this the official? final thing? It, it, it's going to be his final marathon. They've said in the press release, Weldon, is this your final link to the current crop of professional athletes out there? I think it's got to be, right? I never raced Galen Rupp, but in my mind, I was like, oh, Rupp's going to make the 10K trials. I'm going to beat him. I knew he was an up-and-coming high schooler, but all I can say is, John, the last time Abdi Abdurrahman and I raced, we're only, I guess, what, three or four years apart in age? I beat him. I beat him. I, I apparently just retired too soon. I'd stayed around until Super Shoes came. Look out. But no, sad day. I may have to just we're all black on Sunday, but Abby's a guy. He just, you know, great career the most Olympics ever is for any American male track athlete, but he didn't have the bright lights like Meb, you know, him and Meb are, they, if you go back 20 years, I guess he also never had the American 10 K record, but I guess he had more longevity than the right lights, but amazing career. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to make an Olympic team 20 years apart, 2000, he was in the 10K, and then 2020 in the marathon. Phenomenal. Like, he could have made six if he wasn't... What was the team he missed? 2016? He wasn't healthy that year, I don't think. And then he comes back and gets third in New York in the fall. So I'm not going to say like, oh, what could have been? I mean, he still made five Olympic teams, which is amazing. But it's it's crazy to think that if he was maybe healthy and same with Meb, if Meb was like totally healthy in 2007, maybe he makes five Olympic teams. So I mentioned earlier, we got to these storylines. Robert, what most excites you about the New York City Marathon this year? To be honest, I think it's the addition of the non-binary category and prize purse. And I'm only saying that halfway joking because I've been working trying to get an op-ed in the New York Times, at least trying to say that I submitted it and they have they rejected it. Now I don't think I'm going to submit it before the race. Well, I'm going to reach out to the Times today. Alden's got a contact there. I do have a co-author. So please report. Prominent person is willing to sign the article with me. I'm trying to make a sport. Take a stand in the ground here, John. In terms of the actual race, um... I guess I'm excited to see a Galen Rupp run New York for the first time. John's asking, is he going to be the top American? Yes, of course. I've never been a Rupp fan, but that's like insulting to ask that question. Um, Helena Berry's debut is interesting. Some of these men are pretty darn good, too. Well, the Rupp question, it might have been insulting 
a year ago, or if we knew he was totally healthy, but he comes in, he ran 209.36 to finish 19th at the World Championship Marathon. And that was after a troubling buildup, but he hasn't had the greatest year, Robert. I mean, by Rupp standards, this is a terrible year. He was seventh in the US 15K earlier this year. He had to drop out of the New York City Half Marathon. And then 209.36 on that course in Eugene, I think there are probably five or six Americans who could have done the same thing that Galen Rupp did at the World Championships. So I think, look, if he's, he's only one year removed from running 206 in Chicago, if he's had a healthy, strong buildup, I, I agree. No doubt he's the top American. We don't know how that training's been like. We'll talk to him on Thursday and see what it's how it's going. But it's 36. He's had some injury issues this year. He's had some subpar performances. If he's not at his best, Scott Farble's coming off a 208 in Boston. I could see him beating him. I could see Shadrach Kipchirchir in his debut marathon. I mean, I think something would have to go wrong for Rupp, but I don't think he's the model of consistency that he was early in his marathon career. I think there are a few more questions about him right now. Fair enough. But when I hear the, when I hear the word 209 and American for most people, that's good. It shouldn't be in the, in the super shoe era, but you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens by the way, folks, if you were looking for NCAA extensive NCAA cross country breakdown from conference meet, we, we did that on Friday, the Friday 15 for our supporters club members join today. Let's run.com slash subscribe. We may talk a little NCAA cross country today, but also this Friday, we're going to have a lot more New York info where I actually have talked to the agents, the coaches, the athletes, et cetera. So this is just sort of a quick preview, big, big themes, and then much more in depth this Friday. Yes, this is not our blowout official New York City Marathon preview show. This is just the preview of the preview show. And in terms of Supporters Club, thank you for everybody signing up got some personal emails this week i've started reaching out we have you know some form emails we send out but i was just sending out the personal touch one person wants it to be known one big note for me is i thought that friday 15 was literally 15 minutes when i found out it was much longer generally it was a big selling point it should be made more clear that this is often a full podcast i think it's always a full podcast it's almost always like 45 minutes now of course you know well this week it won't be 30 December and January it might be a little short, but minimum of 15 minutes, sometimes over an hour. We had an extensive breakdown of the NCAA cross country. You get a free shirt, save on shoes. Hey, you want to try it out? Go ahead. I don't know how to do codes, but if you sign up this week for a year, you don't like it, you can cancel. I will still send you your free shirt. There it is right there. You have to sign up by when? Friday. Anyone signs up for a year by Friday, tries it out, doesn't like, you get to keep your $30 free shirt. There. Guarantee you'll like it. That was fake news, folks. Weldon has never sent out a shirt in his life. I'm like an Amazon warehouse worker here. I have to fold them, bundle them. Drives Weldon nuts. He's like, Jeff Bezos doesn't send out his own shirts. But I'm too cheap to pay somebody to do it. Although the office is kind of a disaster and I'm like out of shirts and I keep claiming I'm going to order more. All right. A little behind the scenes there. Well, and was I disrespectful to Galen Rupp or 
do you think this is a legitimate question whether he can be top American? I got to say, I am quite excited to see how he's going to do on this course. This is his first time running New York in his career. I think you were a bit disrespectful. I mean, Galen Rupp running New York five years ago would have been the thing. I mean, just think how much this storyline is going to change. Galen Rupp coming back to where the, I don't know, the international career of his mentor, Alberto Salazar, was launched. I mean, I think Alberto Salazar is most known for running the New York City, winning the New York City Marathon, right? Multiple times. I think so, yeah. Well, I mean, as an athlete, as a coach, I think he's now most known for getting banned by Safe Sport and USADA. But as an right. athlete, but yeah. As an athlete, and I, I wonder if as a kid, I'm pretty sure I must have seen Alberto, but like, this is what made him. He, he became a, an American running icon because of the New York City Marathon. Can he come back and do it? This will be one of the coolest stories ever. And now he comes back. His coach is, well, I mean, it's a disgraced outlaw now, right? His former curious. coach. What? His former coach. He's coached by Mike Smith. Right. Now. But the guy who we most associate with him, who deserves, I assume, the lion share of the credit of any of for what Galen is today as a runner outside of Galen himself is now like a, a disgraced figure in New York. They kicked him out of the New York Roadrunners Hall of Fame. So it's going to be interesting. One, I think what the media asked Galen, how Galen deflects those. So Galen's much better at addressing the media, but I assume if there are some of these mainstream journalists were, are going to ask, Hey, what about Alberto? Galen will then deflect it with one answer or two, but it's going to come up, I assume. So that's inter- That's an interesting angle. But more, how is he going to do? I expect him to be the first American, John. He almost always is the first American. When is the last time Galen Rupp ran a marathon wasn't the first American? Oh, I don't know if it's ever happened. I mean, he dropped out of Chicago in 2019, but looking at his results, 2022, he's 19th at Worlds. He didn't lose to Elkhorn Quebec in that race. He was the top American. Then you go back 2021, definitely in Chicago Olympics. Yes. He has not run a marathon where he was not the top American. I'm sorry. Let's say, let's clarify that. He has not finished a marathon where he was not the top American. No, I, I think you guys are right. I think that's most likely what's going to happen. I just think I, it was pretty much a lock the last few years. And he's getting older. He has had some hiccups in trading this year. The thing, speaking to him in Eugene after Worlds, he seemed that things were going in the right direction. He felt like his running form was getting back to normal. So he was pretty encouraged. And if things have continued to go well, yeah, I think he'd be at the top American. I think he could also finish on the podium here. I mean, we talked about the rest of the elite field. Okay, Evans Chabat, he's the Boston champion from earlier this year. He's run 203 flat. He did that in Valencia when he won in 2020. I think he's the favorite. He's a star. But then, after that, I think you got questions about a lot of these guys. I mean, sure, Katada, he won London two years ago, but he hasn't really done a ton since then. Daniel Donacimento of Brazil, 204 guy. Okay, he's fast, but what's he done in majors? Adding a guy, silver medalist at the Olympics, Suguru Osako. And then you've got Albert Correa, who won New York last year and was the silver medalist. Sorry, second in New York in 2019. But I'm looking, I'm looking at these guys. I don't think there's a ton of guys who are better than Galen Rupp. And 
you know, one or two of them are probably going to have a bad day. I think a good day, Rupp gets on the podium, and maybe a great day. Who knows if he's up there for the win, but we'll see. Can I ask a question? What does podium mean? It means is there even three. a podium? Right, there is a podium. The they take pictures and everything after the race for elite marathon. Maybe Galen Rupp is mo- just cares about wins and stuff, but for most elite marathoners, the po- finishing on the podium at a world marathon major is quite a big deal. I didn't. This is is this a bad sign after twenty two years of working? Let's run dot com. I didn't well, actually when I listened to the commentating and they always talk about the podium. I'm like, is there even a podium at these races? Do they really hand out three awards? Like that's kind of arbitrary that they do that at the Olympics because people are like I know a few people are driving their cars here right now. Rojo, don't be an idiot. You're just trying to create controversy. Well, podium in NCA cross country means four, so I just was clarifying that it's top three. But to me. Another storyline is, and we, you know, we'll have our full previews out, but I'm just glancing at these fields. There's kind of really only three women that, that could, well, I guess, well, I guess you could say four. I guess it's not that small of a number. Win the women's race. I mean, there's only three women in this field that have broken 220. Lorna Selpeter, Goitem Gebersles, who is, isn't she the world champ or something, John? Yes, she is. And then Edna Kippa got. But if you're 43, I'm sorry. I love Edna. I had dinner with her and her family for lunch, the care of you in Kenya. My wife still asks about her all the time. But I, I just don't see you winning at 43. Well, and then wait, you've got Helen Berry. She is going to be the Boston champion from last year at 42. Is it that crazy to think? I mean, I think Gebrislas yes. and Lone Salpeta, who both medaled at Worlds this year, I, th- those women have to be ranked ahead of her. I expect Helen O'Beary to beat her, but I don't think it's insane to consider that she could win. She always closes hard. She's a smart racer. And she was fourth in Boston earlier this year. She's not washed up or anything. No, she's a good, solid marathoner. You know she's going to run a good race. I just I don't think you're going to do it. And I don't remember if I said this before in last week's podcast, but I was, I was listening to a podcast the other day, Teddy Atlas, boxer. He's like, he was in the corner one time helping some guy, and he's like, he realized in the fourth round, he's like, wow, this guy got old overnight. So age, you can be really close to a win. You can be really close to a, a to a, it's like you're going up a cliff, cliff. Then, you know, Mev wins Boston. Then like a year later, he's retired. Yeah, no, I, I think there are three serious contenders, which is Salpeta, Gebrselas, and Obiri. And then Kiplagat is a little below them, but. Who knows if two of those women blow up and she's trying to run down someone in Central Park? I could, I could see that happening. Uh, so that's going to be that's, that's kind of how the race could play out. And Kipogat's not going to win, or she shouldn't win. And I think there's three contenders, John. That's what you said. That's a problem in New York, and that's probably the easiest criticism of New York. I'd say you're in, you're out. Could you bring in just a couple up and comers, people ready to break the breakthrough? I mean, even at their half marathon, they've had the problems, right? Like, pe- but in the half, like, pe- right? Some people who weren't even in the lead field placed super high before. But in this race, the starts are separate, so that's not possible. But there's tons of athletes who would love to have the opportunity to have a breakthrough at the New York City Marathon, and it's not allowed. So they really like to sculpt their fields. And 
it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I wish they would just let, especially in the women's side where it's not the depth. But the Americans plays higher as a result. Maybe they like it this way. It's not a huge, huge criticism. Well, I don't know. I think we're being slaves to personal best here, though, because the more I think about it, the more I could see a couple other women winning. Because let's remember what happened last year. Perez Jipchirchir won the race. It was kind of a sit and kick. Came down to the last 800 meters. Who was one of the women who was right with her? Viola Don't go Chapter. there. What do you Don't mean? Don't go there. Robert, how New York has played out the last couple of years is people really slam home the second half. But And Jipchirchir played like sit and kick. But if that happens again, I mean... Viola Lagarde ran 2.22 in her marathon debut last year in New York. That, to me, suggests she could run a lot faster than 2.22 on a faster course. I think her PB is a little misleading. She came back. She finished sixth in Boston. All right, so-so. But I think we've seen in New York, if it's that kind of race, she could win. She was second last year by about eight seconds. So why couldn't she win? It was an amazing story. I, lo- I loved it because her brother, this is Bernard Lagat's sister, by the way. But she's not American, but her brother is. But they both live in America. It's confusing to me. But I thought it was cool to see him as a commentator and turn around to see her. But I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. This woman was like a mediocre collegiate runner who's been a mediocre Olympian for Kenya. And now she, she, has she been in the wrong event her whole life? Like Ryan Hall, she was like a 1,500-meter runner. Really, she was a marathoner. So it, it was a cool story that was tactical, and she stayed with it. But she's not staying with three, two, seventeen women this year. What do you mean she stayed with Perez Jepchirchir last year? I mean Jepchirchir was let's clearly not a hundred percent. She was bouncing back from the Olympics, you know. But I'm just saying, if these women let her hang around and don't break her, yeah, I think she could be in the mix. I expect someone to go hard. It might be Helen O'Berry. The second half, she just takes off and crushes these women. According to Dathan Ritzenheim, and her training's been going very well. But, you know, New York, th- these sort of things happen. This is what happens when you have a race without pacemakers. It could go very slow. She could still be there. The one other woman I would mention, Simberi Teferi of Ethiopia. You know, she's run 65-30 in the half. Granted, that was several years ago. But she's been having a good year at shorter distances. Run a- won a bunch of road. She won Peachtree. She won the New York City half back in March. She ran 14.37 on the roads this year in April. She's actually undefeated on the roads this year. She's won all five of her races. None of them were in the marathon, but she's a woman who has yet to really have like a starring marathon. She's been ninth in Dubai, seventh in Tokyo in her two marathon races, but she was sixth in the Olympics in the 5,000 meters last year. Clearly she's talented. It wouldn't shock me if she's up there contending as well. So there's definitely more than three because she's a big talent. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't analyzed these fields. I just wondered what you guys were telling me. And then I'm glad John mentioned Sinveri Teferi because as you guys were talking, I started looking at him. She has talent. She's done nothing in the marathon, but she's world cross country, world 5,000 meter silver medalist. So she's she's got the engine. It's just a matter of how long it can last. Do I expect her to win? No. I think the race, right? Should we just go there now? I think it's a it's a two-person. There's two headliners, right? This race was going to be amazing because you were both slated to have Perez of Church here, arguably maybe the best marathon in the world right now, the Olympic champion, defending champion in this race. She's pulled out, take on Helen O'Berry in the debut. 
and Gebre Salas, the world champion. So it was going to be sort of like a big three. Now it's only a big two with a couple other contenders. But well, no, I think I think it's still a big three. I would say Lona Salpeta, she's won a major. She's won Tokyo. She was sorry, I think I said silver medalist earlier at Worlds. She was the bronze medalist at Worlds this year, but she ran two eighteen forty-five. Sorry, two eighteen forty-five earlier this year in Nagoya, then bronze at Worlds. She was in the mix for an Olympic medal last year until you know period cramps essentially derailed her race. She's run two seventeen in the past. I think she's going to be in the mix. Obviously, Gebra Selassie, the world champion, is going to be in the mix. And then Helen O'Beary, who has run 64-22 in the half. She is a world cross-country champion, the reigning world cross-country champion, in fact. I think she has to be considered as a factor as well. And remember, earlier this summer, second in the world championship, 10,000. Just an enormous talent. So I would see those three are kind of my top tier and then you've got Teferi, who's a bit of an unknown, but a talent. And you've got Chapter, and you've got Edna Kiplagat. So that's kind of how I see it as the two tiers. No respect for Alephine Tulemach from America, as well as supporting club member, former Merle Marathon major champion, Des Linda. No respect for them? What do you mean? You think they, they have a chance of winning, Robert? We're talking about the overall winner here, not the top American. I wish I could say I haven't checked the weather forecast, but if it snows and, and all the elites drop out, I'm going with Des. But it's going to be in the 60s. It's going to be warm. This is like high 60s at the finish. That's going to be one of the warmest New York City marathons on record. All right. While we're talking New York, a little bit of a controversy this week. Courtesy of our, I think he was a podcast guest. Right, Matthew Futterman, New York Times writer, big running fan, publishes a piece in the New York Times pointing out that Nina Lynch, the five-time NCAA champion, I believe, for Villanova, she's probably in her early 50s, so she was what in the 1990s at Villanova, former pro runner, road scholar, um, I feel bad pointing this out. Also, a black female because of this. She'll be the she was she's scheduled to be the first black and first female chairman of the board of the New York Roadrunners. She's supposed to take over in June. Looks like the ideal candidate given her background. But Mr. Futterman somehow realized, yeah, she's great, except for the fact that she served a drug ban back when she was a pro. She tested positive for pseudoephedrine, which is found in some versions of pseudoephed. It's a decongestant. It's also a stimulant. It used to be in all the cold medicines. Like when we were in college, well, right, remember the doc, some of the coaches would say don't take it or stuff like that. Um, served a three-month ban. And the New York Roadrunners very emphatically have a zero-tolerance policy for drugs. They brag about it on their website all the time. You can't run in the races if you served a drug ban. Admittedly, Miss Lynch isn't going to be running rare. She's not doesn't necessarily have to run a race to head the New York Roadrunners, but this article comes out. Your Roadrunners haven't commented on it that, that I've seen. I got notified of it from a friend of mine who's defending Nina. He knows her, and he's like, this is ridiculous. But I read the piece and had the opposite reaction. To me, I, look, I don't really care if she took cold medicine. If I found out she was intentionally cheating, I do care, even if it was just cold medicine. But in the grand scheme of things, that's not that big of a deal to me. 
but I care about the hypocrisy. So to me, it's very simple. You either change your no zero tolerance policy and you say, hey, we've learned from this. Mistakes happen. It's very complicated. There's a lot of banned lists. For now on, we'll review cases on a case-by-case -case basis or we'll only count suspensions of a year or longer, something. Or she doesn't head the board. She cannot head the board with the zero tolerance policy. That would be like you know, having a special set of rules for the well-paid overlings and then the poor paid help is held to a higher standard, meaning the runners. What do you guys think? Yeah, well, the current policy, Robert, according to this New York Times article, it says athletes who have been suspended by a governing body for using performance-enhancing drugs and not eligible to participate in New York Roadrunners races, appeals are reviewable, uh, sorry, are reviewed by the New York Roadrunners race director. So the very fact that they already have an appeal policy in place means that it's not actually zero, zero well, tolerance. Policy. I didn't like that statement. It doesn't make any sense. It says they're not eligible. And then it says appeals are, they need a sentence between the two saying you can have a appeal. You know, it, it's implying that they make exceptions to the rules, but yeah. So I think what you just need to do is you, you get away from look the zero tolerance policy. I get the idea behind it. It's commendable that you're, against doping and you don't have much sympathy for athletes who dope. But I also think it's look in this case, one, the New York Roadrunners and Nina Lynch both need to sort of explain themselves and say, here's what went into the positive test. Here is why we made this decision. Here's why we're sticking for it. We reviewed it or blah, blah, blah. They need to come out and be, more transparent about this. Apparently she was on vacation, so you know, didn't have time to give comment or whatever. But they both need to get out and give some sort of explanation to the public about it. And yeah, I agree with you, Robert. I think it's fine to say, hey, we have a harsh policy against athletes who've been convicted of doping. Uh, but you get away from just saying 100% zero tolerance. You say they're banned unless, you know, in rare cases, exceptions are given and you lay something out like that so i am behind your idea on that okay a couple points the vacation stuff come on it's the new york times you need to give a comment it looks worse when you don't give a comment do we just what's the shortest band we have now it used to be there was all this like oh somebody got popped for the three-month cold medicine thing i personally didn't give a shit i didn't consider it a big deal i'm slating i'm getting through a benefit of doubt and slating this in there but this shows why the policy needs to change you can't ignore the policy. The policy should be if you get a major drug suspension in your band, if it's you took something inadvertent or you get one of these the shortest suspension, what is it even now? What's the time frame? It's one month. You remember who served a one month suspension last year, Weldon? Thank you, John. Thank you. Yeah, Shakari Richardson. Our good friend Shakari Richardson. But yeah, not all doping cases are created equal because look, Shelly Ann Fraser Price once served a six month ban for one of these things and Johan Blake, also, he short served a ban of a few months. I don't think people viewed them as dopers, even though they were suspended. So I think you have to have some nuance here and look at the specific cases. I think you need a qualify in there, John. I don't think all people, some people, I'm sure, because there's some people in that front of you, everyone is a doper, John. So I'm just putting that out there. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> they, they, no, some people say Shelly Ann Fraser Price, she was suspended. Six months, everything is in question. I don't think that's the majority opinion, but yes, yeah, certainly there are some people who will who are out there who think that way. 
What about Ajay Wilson as well? She wasn't suspended though. Well, she served a doping ban. No, what? no, she, well, she had a good. She was provisionally suspended, right? But she, the case was dismissed. Wasn't dismissed. She had one result nullified because it was a no fault finding, but she did not serve a ban, Robert. Doesn't matter to me, no fault or not. She failed the doping test. She would have been eligible, according to my view of this New York Roadrunners. I forgot to say something when we were talking about Galen Rupp, and it's been bothering me a lot recently, just from an intellectual standpoint. When you guys were talking about it. first of all, it's an absolute joke that Salazar's is not in the New York Roadrunners Hall of Fame. It's not about your personal life or even your professional coaching life. That's not why he's in the NYR Hall of Fame. He's in the NYR Hall of Fame for his running. So I, I just don't believe in going back and changing history. But anyways, I've started to think about it. Salazar is a pariah, and justifiably so, I guess. We don't even really know what he did. I finally actually was given a name as to who he may have sexually assaulted privately. Disturbing stuff, but if true. But everyone associated with him is still viewed as pristine as snow. There's nothing to see here. And it's not like it's minor people in the sport. Dathan Ritzenheim doing interview after interview on Athletics Club. The new guru, Dalen Rupp, the golden boy. You think Dalen Rupp is viewed as pristine as snow and that he has a flawless reputation in the sport of running? Have you been on your own message boards, Robert? I'm not talking about the message board. I'm talking about the media at large. Kara Goucher, prominent NBC person. Amy Yoder Begley, coach of the Atlanta Track Club. Mo Farah, excuse me. Got his name wrong. Apologize. Sir Mo Farah, a knight in Britain. All of these people benefited immensely. Immensely. Hell, you could even say in a sick way, Mary Kane benefited from him in a public stature way. I shouldn't say that because she's a victim of this guy, this asshole. But all these people, so many people have benefited immensely from their association with him. Athletically, athletically, you're saying. Athletically and reputationally. Like this guy was winning at all costs. They won at all cost. And now they're they're benefiting from having won at all cost. But of course they didn't do anything wrong. But Robert, like, okay, in some parts, yes, they don't have their part their past with the NOP brought up, but I think being the listeners of our podcast, there are a lot of people who say, Yes, those people did win a lot of races, but there is a cloud over some of them more than others that they were part of NOP. There are going to be questions marks about her, about them. People who think critically about the sport do view this association as tainting their careers to certain degrees. I think the idea that that's just not the case. Okay, maybe it's not the case in like very very mainstream media, but there are there have always been a lot of questions about Mo Farah in the British press, and he was knighted. But I don't think everyone over in Britain just views him as a saint. The mainstream, maybe the running fans, I don't think so. But I guess it's like life in general. You're really deep down. We don't know what most people are doing. The guy that is your favorite preacher may be beating his wife when he gets home. We have no idea. But there was something much more public last week that caught my eye. If I do publish the week that was, I'm going to put this in there. The world may not like it. I found this to be interesting. 
if you know what the Babylon Bee is, it's kind of a satirical website. It's like the Onion. Everyone knows what the Onion is, the satire humor site. Babylon Bee is like a satire humor site, but from the right wing. I think Wikipedia describes it as like a Christian right wing version of the Onion. Um, and there's a guy who writes for them named David Diebel. He put out a tweet. Directed it to the New York Roadrunners, but he tagged Jonathan Galt 13, Jay Galt 13, and Let's Run.com on it. That's how I got the attention. And I thought this was very funny and very biting at the same time. Dear New York Roadrunners, two questions. Do any of the races you sponsor have a non-binary category for wheelchair athletes? If so, does the non-binary wheelchair category offer prize money separate from wheelchair athletes in the men's and women's category? And this was sarcasm, but I often say tone is lost on the internet. Lost on the internet, and the New York Roadrunners Twitter account immediately responded, "Hi, David. Feel free to reach us at help at nyrr.org, and we would be happy to forward your question to the appropriate department." And I actually think, given the New York Roadrunners, their job is—I mean, they're—they're they're trying to include everybody and make everybody happy. I guess that it's their their Twitter account should have responded. I guess thinking this was serious, but. I thought this was so brilliant. It's like, how many categories are we going to have? And if you believe non-binary is important for able-bodied runners, why isn't it also a wheelchair division? And why don't you have prize money? And in the week that was, I'm going to say, well, why stop there? Paralympians get prize money in Boston. Why don't they get them in New York? Are you saying someone lost their leg is not important? What about the hand cycles? You guys know the hand cycles used to get prize money in New York. Why don't they get it anymore? And then we could go on and on and on. You know, and non-binary is not the only gender. I think there's 23, 32 genders. How many, how many genders are there out there? So. I did get a chuckle from David's tweet. And I, I, look, we've talked about this on the podcast before, about adding all of these categories and whether it makes sense to have prize money or not, all that sort of thing. I think when you look at the Paralympic type categories and all those and which ones have prize money and which don't. I mean, to me, it should just come down to like how many entries are in each category. If the wheelchair race, I don't know how many entries they have in there. This is clearly something they want to emphasize, but look, if the wheelchair race has a thousand athletes, there's no way it has a thousand, but if it has a thousand, I, it makes sense to pay out prize money because that's a pretty big field. If you have an amputee division that only has five people, I don't think it makes sense to pay out any prize money because it's just five-person race so i think you kind of gotta look at the entries and which ones make sense they we've talked about non-binary i don't think you need to have price money there but for those other categories use common sense when you look at how competitive each division is john you got it backwards first of all the men's wheelchair division has 22 athletes this year wait it's only 22 that's the elite. Oh, the elite field. Yeah, there's probably more than 22. But how many? But John, that... if you offer prize money, you get more. That's true. That's true. If we said, hey, the blind division is going to have prize money, we'd have a lot of blind people begging to get in the thing. So maybe that's, I just said it. My buddy used to be you know, a pacer for the Achilles, like the, for the blind people, some of the blind runners. Well, tell about the blind people, man. I want blind prize money in New York City Marathon. If, if, if that's the thing, right? These are humong humongous nonprofits that generate millions of dollars. They have all this money to spend. 
and they can spin it whatever they want. And they've decided, hey, we want to be about inclusion. We think non-binary is the way to go, but they're excluding lots of people. They're still favoring biological males over bi biological females. They're they're hurting. It, it hurts the chances for women. Again, it favors men over biological men over biological women, however you want to say it. I don't think you need the non-branded division. The rest, it's, it's whatever they want to do. I guess the board ultimately is in charge, right? The board, which somehow, right, through all these scandals, the New York City Roadrunners has gone scot-free. The board ultimately is in charge. George Hirsch, the longtime chairman of the board, is is um, stepping down this year. And, you know, I think he did great things at Runner's World and stuff, but I haven't seen any criticism of him of what was going on essentially under his watch. And the board, I would say, has let the race do this, go in this direction, which I think is the direction they shouldn't take. But if they keep it here, minor prize money for the New York City Marathon for non-binary, it's, 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 uh, it's kind of like they're, they're drug banned. I think it's all for show. Of course it's for show. And it's, uh, there was a great post on let's run today. And there's, there's a Western States controversy, non-binary controversy. I think B dubs wrote, and I agree with this one. We should be kind to all people, regardless of sex, gender, race. And two, the non-binary category in sporting events is silly. And these two things can both coexist at once, I 100% agree with that. To me, asking someone their gender for sports, you, you, well, why are you asking them that? Why don't you ask them what their religion is? I mean, if the New York Roadrunners wanted to have pay out prize money for Catholics, they could do it. Your religion, likes gender, can change. It's important to some people. It's very important to some people. It's all defining to some people. It's totally unimportant to other people. It's very similar. Like if they want to have a religion prize money, they could, but it's stupid and they shouldn't. I've had other supporters club members say they tune out when we go with these discussions. But John, I thought that point was actually genius. All of Robert's points. Yeah, I agree. So, I think so it's, this is I've the dumbest that. analogy of all time at first, but then he kept going with it. I'm like, well done. I feel like I've made that point at some point as well. But yes, I, I, I agree with you that we're about. All right. Speaking of institutions, in our sport, USATF. I've got some problems, people. It's this November. Y'all get on me. Y'all get on me. This is John's push button. John just, he keeps coming back to this. Like, I'm kind of in. I'm this. sorry, Robert. Is it too much to ask for no, it's the not. governing body of the sport in our country to have announced the locations for the national championships next year? Let's just do some math here. It's November 1st. The U.S. championships indoors are held in February, all right? So that's three months from now. We don't know where they're going to be. We don't have any qualifying standards or anything like that. If I'm the coach of a pro team, I'd like to start planning out my schedule for the winter season. Where are we going to race? What times are we going to try to hit? What are we going to accomplish? The governing body hasn't said where the national championships are going to be. I don't, I don't get it. What's the excuse for that? What's the reasoning? We don't know where USA Outdoors is going to be. Look, there's not a rush on that, but again, people are going to be planning this summer. Fans want to know where this thing's going to be. 
get the community excited if it's going to be somewhere other than Eugene. Start promoting it. I don't know. It just seems kind of ridiculous to me. And then, of course, we've got the Olympic marathon trials, which do seem down to be narrowed down to two finalists, Chattanooga and Orlando, but they still haven't been announced where they're going to be. And the Olympic marathon, sorry, the Olympic trials on the track, which I checked for the 2020 Olympic trials, they were awarded to Mount Sac in June of 2017. Now, of course, they got yanked away from Mount Sac, but that was three years in advance. And we're now in November of 2022. If we're going to have an Olympic trial somewhere other than Eugene, can we start promoting that, getting people excited about it instead of waiting, waiting, waiting? I don't understand the delay. Why has this stuff not been awarded yet? To me, it's just, there's no, re- there's no good excuse for it. Oh, there is, John. Mismanagement, you could say. Or maybe you could say it's brilliant management. I mean, Max Siegel is paid very handsomely. He's not quite paid Roger Goodell money. But he's he's totally overpaid for what or for a nonprofit. I think this this compensation is disgusting. But I think the the answer is simple. He hasn't been able to extort from any city a payment yet that he thinks is worthy of doing it. So he doesn't want to pay for the USA indoors. So he's trying to find someone that'll pay him or do it at no cost. And he's definitely looking for money for the trials. And the problem is by building the mecca of Hayward Field. Phil Knight may be thinking, hey, I spent a couple hundred million dollars on the stadium. We also spent $500 million over a number of years to have our swoosh on your singlets, give you an exorbitant amount of salary, all your Nike friends an exorbitant salary too. I expected to be in Eugene, but then he's not going to get a payment if he pays it, puts it in Eugene. Okay, when I use the word extort, that's a criminal term. We don't need to go there. Well, I, I think it should be a criminal What do you mean you're term? not going to get a payment? You bid for the trials. You bid for the trials. What do you mean a payment? You bid for the trials. There's a bidding process. If if Eugene pays, they're going to pay money to host the trials. They're going to pay some costs and shit. So there would be a payment. But there's an obvious place for to have USA indoors this year. Boston, baby. You're sitting in it. Thank you. They built this beautiful track facility, the greatest indoor track facility maybe ever built in the United States, for sure in the last five years. The New Balance, what's it called? The track at New Balance? Mm-hmm. It should be there for sure this year. Maybe it should be permanent. Maybe through like 2040, John. I'm just picking that year randomly. <laughs> <laughs> if, if they didn't bid out the, the uh, Nike contract, I'm sure... You could have the indoor nationals always at the track at New Balance, and we'll say it really prominently at the track at New Balance. But we need to get to the bottom of this. USATF signed, I think at the time it was like a 24-year deal with Nike to do the sponsorship through 2040. I hope there was some inflation-adjusted thing in that contract. My God. Like, what if we have, what if the U.S. had 10% annual inflation for the next, like, does anyone know? I mean, this is seriously a pressing issue. That was one of the complaints about the deal when it was signed, is that when it's so long in the future, you don't know what the financial landscape's going to look like. I assume the there's some sort of, of deal. trigger with inflation or adjusted for inflation. But knowing these guys, we've seen so much incompetence. I think that's a better word for what's gone in the past. We had the trials awarded to Sacramento, yanked, put back to, to Eugene. The Olympic trials marathon here hasn't still been announced. We haven't had world indoors. 
I don't know. You could, I just consider that not great business. Some might say it's something else. You know, it's, they're just making sure we want to get the best bid. They're waiting to the last possible time. They're pressing people. If that's what's going on, sell that story, but you're not doing well, it. No, no, Instead, no, no. I'm going to go with incompetence. Well, then, to look, to be fair to USATF, I asked Amish Mank, who is the guy at USATF in charge of these major events, why they delayed the announcement for the Olympic marathon trials because it was supposed to be made in July. It's now November and we still haven't got one. He said they wanted to figure out how the Olympic standards would affect the trials. If they're really, really hard, that might mean there's no auto spots. They need to get clarification for world athletics. And I do understand how that can change how the bidding cities would feel about a trials race. And there can be some delays on that. So I, I do kind of get that. I appreciate them giving an explanation there. But USA Indoors, all right, I do have a response here from one of my Twitter followers, Matt Merrill, who's a track and field official. He said USA Indoors is in Albuquerque, February 16th to 18th. So maybe that's true. We haven't confirmed that with the USATF because they haven't said anything. But if officials know, announce this. Let people know in Albuquerque, hey, the Nationals are going to be here. Let the athletes know. I don't understand how, like, you have a website, you should be saying USA Nationals awarded to Albuquerque. What's the delay? The marathon thing makes perfect sense for me. Fine. We still have plenty of time to announce it. That's great. You put that out there. But it should. I think you were like contacting them forever. What's going on? If you have a story to tell, tell it. Otherwise, people start, start telling the story for you. And the way the human mind makes it usually goes into the gutter or... It's not favorable, right? Why aren't you telling me this? People start thinking negative thoughts. And with the history of this organization not being the most well-run, they don't get the benefit of the doubt a lot of the time. Right. I did want to ask you guys about the 2024 track trials. Eugene has hosted the last four. Do we think... Now, obviously, it's the best stadium, best track and field stadium in the country, but is it the best place to host the trials? I, I for one, would like to see another city get a chance. But I think Eugene would deliver a great trials, but I think it's time to get try somewhere else. Mount Sac has a brand new stadium they wanted to host in 2020. I wonder if it's worth giving them a shot, or should we just go back to Eugene forever? No, we should never go to Eugene. It should be forbidden to go to Eugene, except once every 20 years, throw them a bone. Look, Eugene supports track more than other cities, but it's hard to get to. So give them, a, you know, I, I should have a rotation maybe, but the trial should go to other cities. People like, oh, we put it in Des Moines. Nobody went. We didn't put the trials in Des Moines. When Weld and I were in high school, we went to the Olympic trials in New Orleans. It was filled. When you have Olympic trials, people pull up, show up for that. That's a, that moves the needle. So move it somewhere else. Now the problem is the weather. There aren't that many places unless you put it in like a Eugene or in California where it's warm during the day and cool enough at night to get good conditions for the distance running. I, I would, you know, Austin, Texas, it's just super hot. I, I would think outside the box, you could have a sprint location and a distance location. So, you know, you, you could put the sprint championships down in Texas and have the distance somewhere else. How many events there are we really going to be freaking out about the weather, though? I think we had the NCAAs in Austin in 2019. It was pretty great. It was hot as hell. But the best guys still won the distance races. And I think the solution here is pretty simple. If you want to do it for 2024, have the 10K trials be part of the pre-classic distance night, as they were this year. I thought that worked out well. 
that's in a race that really could be affected by adverse weather. Everything else, I think up to the 5,000 is not a big deal. And the 5,000, you just have it at like 9 p.m. one night. And if it's hot and humid, sorry, you got to deal with that. But guess what? It can be hot. And, you remember how hot and humid it was at the Olympics in Tokyo? That's how things go sometimes. So I don't think Good weather point. should really be a huge deal. If you're moving the 10K out of it, you can have it anywhere. Yeah, I'm up. I think Austin is a great scenario. Maybe we should get on this. They need to start bidding. The problem is Austin, right? The focus in Austin, well, they have a professional soccer team, but everything is UT. I don't think UT thinks of, oh, how can we put on events outside of UT events? But it's a great place to host track and field. They have a great track coach. Maybe he could somehow think it'll help. We have more events here. It'll just establish us even more. I mean, Foriel's building a great program there. So it's just... If you're an AD, assistant AD, like my mom's buddy at Texas, hosting the Olympic trials, it's like, wait, what, oh, we, may, we may have to like lose money on this? No, they don't. There's just no interest. Like, so, but lots of other entities, right, are going to Austin, Formula One. They're like, hey, it's a great city. It's a vibrant city. It's up and coming in the United States. Let's have events here. We want to be associated with Austin. So maybe track and field should, should think like that. Well, well, then how about, who you know who's hosting an event in Austin next month? Jesse Williams. He likes to put on track meets. He's a, on board with this. Maybe you, someone like him approaches the University of Texas and says, "Hey, we'll take care of this. We'll stage all this stuff for you. We need to use your facility, but we'll be the LOC for the trials, even though they're not, you know, an Austin-based organization. Maybe that's something. But yes, you do need someone who is willing to." host it and take on these potential losses. That's why Eugene is such a, they keep going back to Eugene because there is a willingness to host events and you need to have that somewhere else for somewhere else to get it. Maybe we should get on this because Texas does have like this state fund. Everyone thinks, you know, it's survival of the fittest in the red state of Texas, but they have this like slush fund that they give to events that bring in a lot of people from out of state. Slush fund sounds like a little <laughs> untoward, but that is how they got the Olympic marathon trials in 2012. They paid for a good portion of it through this major events fund. So yeah, maybe utilize that. The state of Oregon floated the whole world championships pretty much. So you're on national TV every night for nine or 10 nights. You do get some publicity. People fly in from all over. A lot of people I think would want to go to Austin. Totally. Maybe net. If this, you know, like, a million dollars. I don't know what it costs. Two million dollars of state chips in that could totally flip the economics of an event like this. Maybe it is something that that could be happening. Can someone remind me why was the trial stripped from outside? So the stadium, there were lawsuits from the NIMBY people out in Walnut, California, uh, about how the stadium would affect their way of life or whatever they weren't sure there was uncertainty that the stadium would be ready in time with these lawsuits so they went and awarded to another city that didn't have a completed stadium either but that they thought would get it finished in time which was eugene so what do you make about austin 2024 plan robert did we just fix the sport well i like it because i don't have to pay for hotels since my parents live there and i can take you to what's it called frisco's Cisco's. Oh, Cisco's with the $1 beer. And oh my God, I should be lobbying for it based on the barbecue alone. I mean, that would be a great 10 days in Austin. 
we'd eat like kings. John, don't sell yourself short. You'll probably be the father of a young child by 2024. You probably will be covering it remotely. Father of a young child? I, I don't I don't have much time. I guess I got to get cracking on that for a bit. But all right. Anything else about USATF or shall we move on? Yeah, I have another story I want to bring up. Jonathan Galt may not know what it is because I like to kid John for paying more attention to men's running than women's running. One of the great women's distance projects prospects in the world returned to action this week. She is known for her prowess on the roads, even though she's only 19. It's her first road race of the year since January. Since January. Her name? Sira Fuwa. Well then, John, have you ever heard of her? Do you know who she is? I do not know who this person is. Well, John doesn't know. I think we know. I don't know. Yeah, and and I apologize because I, I somehow must have missed this last year when she rose to prominence, so I apologize for not grabbing, paying attention to her last year. I think it's because Brett Lorner, who runs the website Japanese Running News on Blogspot, didn't write about it at the time, or maybe I didn't see it at the time. But anyways, she's a now 19-year-old from Japan, and at their National University of Women's Academy last year, on the longest leg, which is often the most prestigious leg, 9.2 kilometers. She ran the most incredible leg in Japanese distance, collegiate distance running history. On a leg where the course record was 29.14. So they run the same course every year at the Nationals. She ran 28 flat. Think about that for a second. She beat it by 74 seconds. She ran on hills, 30.26 pace for... Almost 10K, 9.2K. So you're like, well, what can she do if she actually runs a 10K? She did run a 10K a few months later in December. At the age of 18, she went 30.45, which is pretty darn good. It's the number two time in Japanese history. And then, obviously, she's got a lot of pressure on her. She did not run Worlds, though, if you didn't notice. All she had to do was show up at Nationals and get top three, but she was hurt. And then, it's crazy, like, Takahashi, the Olympic champions, like giving TV interviews, like, let's don't pressure her too much. And I agree with that. Like, let's don't hype another teenage phenom, particularly on the women's side. But then the next story I read about her, I'm looking back in time now. I actually found this out this week is her coach at the university, there she goes, announces, we're going to take her to Worlds anyways. So she got to, they flew her out to Eugene. She wanted, he wanted her to see the atmosphere and see the speed of the race. So when she does make it, she can go. I personally think that's a bad move. Like, let's, that's putting pressure on the young lady. So, anyways, she's been hurt with a right Achilles injury all year. She had one, like, the inner something competition in, like, 32 minutes on the track in September. She ran um, this week the same 9.2-kilometer le leg that she ran last year in 28 flat. Uh, this year, she ran it in... 29.39. Yeah. There you go. Went out slow. 3.11 for the first K. Picked it up. Still won the leg. Fastest split on the leg. But, you know, a minute and a half of off what she ran last year. So. Hold on a second here, Robert, though. I, I agree that 30.45 at age 18 is incredible. But I've been long told on this podcast, if a woman doesn't continue to PB as a teenager, she should be completely ignored. 
And this woman has only raced twice this year. She hasn't run close to her personal best. I mean, again, I, this is going to be, this is like, I'm kind of doing a bit here because this is Robert's opinion that we write these women off. But are you worried that this woman hasn't per- ran a personal best this year? I am worried. I always debate. Did I say the rule is you have to PR at 18 or 19? I think 19, right? Because Mary Kane, I, I feel like she was the progenitor of this rule. It was 2014. She didn't PR. Maybe she was, it was Mary Kane, I think, was 18 that year, though. So maybe it's 18. But I've heard you, I'm pretty sure you've expanded it to 19. No, I think cases. it's, I feel safer if the ICA PR at 19. Yeah. I'm not going to lie about that. Um, at this stage, still confident she'll make an Olympic team. At this stage, I think the whole point is we spent this segment saying, don't put too much pressure on her. You know, she's a young runner and I'm kind of mocking her. Like, I don't, I'm not trying to put pressure on her. 3045 is great. She's a big talent. It's good to see her back racing. I don't want to speculate or anything about her long-term future or anything. It's just good that she's racing again. Thank you for raising my awareness. One of the few current runners who Robert knows more about than I do. Well, you know me, I love these obscured national records. Oh, yeah. If she breaks the, if we get a Japanese record in Paris 2024, you can expect a splash page for Sarah Fuwa. Okay, guys. Well, we're talking about young phenoms. Let's go to the voicemail box. It's about a Oh, maybe he wasn't quite so young, Phenom, but this guy was a collegiate Phenom. Edward Cheserek. His voicemail is from Supporters Club member Sanjay. Did we give out last names, John? I think just Sanjay is fine. He might have said his last name uh, on the voicemail. but I know, but I'm not sure he wants it out there. Yeah, just keep it at Sanjay. Of course, the voicemail started with the praise with how great we are and everything, but I don't think we need to play that part. Here's the meat of the conversation. Quick question, just because I'm too lazy to email. I don't think King Chez is running in super shoes, is he? Isn't he sponsored still by Skechers? I remember watching the uh, New York City half, where I live, and he comes bounding in in these kind of crappy, you know, strip mall Skechers shoes, which don't have a carbon plate, as far as I know. So, like his Valencia half marathon of whatever it was, 6011 or whatever it was. I mean, if he was wearing super shoes, wouldn't he have been down in like the low 59? Can we figure out a way to get him an American wife so that he can get that citizenship and get him a super shoe contract? I think if those two things were met, Ryan Hall's half marathon record would be in our rear view mirror. All right, that's it. Thanks for all your great work. And uh, yeah, looking forward to the next podcast. Still got in there to talk about our great work. Didn't realize that. Well, that's good. It's good for people to hear that so they know how to get their voicemail selected of the thousands that we get. <laughs> Sanjay, amazing voicemail. That's the first time I've heard it. I know Weldon and John had listened to it. And I love it. I mean, it's it's... The only problem is, I mean, I can't get John a wife, and I know John pretty well. How am I going to get King Chez an American wife? Like, it, I've been trying to get John one for a number of years, and I, I've got to get one with King Chez. Are you guys We're forgetting gonna- he's engaged to Sharon Locady, who's another professional runner? He's who is also Kenyan. 
So an American wife is not happening unless he abandons. Well, could she get citizenship if they're engaged and she's on the process of getting citizenship? He needs to wait. And first of all, John, we all know you're not married until you're actually married. So engagement, I mean, I'm not saying he should break it off, but. This is terrible. Yeah. Immigrating here. Once he's part of America. Immigrants, you know. A lot of times they're good for financial reasons. Now they want him to like. Give up his love. This is nuts. But I think the shoe question is a big one. And it's why we harp on the shoes. We haven't been as much this year at all. But oh, everyone's like, oh, it's an even playing field. It's not. I don't. I don't. I don't know this, but I don't see a lot of people just on the street racing in the Skecher shoe. So I'm assume it's not equal to some of these other company shoes. And that's not what I want in the sport. Is King Chez at a competitive disadvantage because of who his sponsor is? Now maybe it's great. Skechers has been he's been with Skechers since 2017, so over five years now. Hopefully they gave him a shitload of money. But at some point, if he's hurting his athletic career, he he needs better shoes. And just without knowing the science of the Skechers shoes, I assume he's at a disadvantage, which sucks. That's not the sport's about. Sport's not about having to buy a $300 racing shoe, or at least it didn't used to be. But one of the greatest things about running was, I thought, it was very low barrier to entry financially. Everybody's sort of on a level playing field. It was like, who was the best athlete on that day? And I don't think that's where we are. So King Chess, for the record, he ran... Oh, wow. I thought he had a poor race, right? Because he ran 60-13 for ninth place at the Lindsay Half Marathon. Super shoes? Where does that take him? I don't know. Maybe low. He could have been low 59s, which is a much better performance, a lot more money, and well, he's not American, but if he was American, probably an American record. Yeah, I mean, we view him totally differently, and I do think I did some digging. I tried to figure out. I had a light digging. I didn't sort of go full deep dive on this, but I don't think they are super shoes. They don't seem to have the sort of the big cushioning that the more famous brands do. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's at a disadvantage. And yeah, we like Sanjay said, he, I think he could break right that effort he gave on in Valencia, 60-13. That's 30 seconds behind Hall's American record. I wouldn't be shocked if that's well under 60 minutes. But can we acknowledge that Ryan Hall didn't have the super shoes? So, you know. yeah, yeah, no, no, no. If apples to apples, I'm not saying he's a better runner than Ryan Hall was, but he could have an American record if he was American and if he had the shoes. A lot of ifs. So it sounds like you guys are with me, though. We really should, con- John. Can you contact World of Flags? I don't think I don't have the contact info. Can we get the 2016 Olympic marathon results invalidated? <laughs> oh, wow, a throwback! I didn't think I was going to get this. No, they cheated. Discussion. Rupp cheated, today. and a bunch of all the Nike athletes cheated. Now, I understand that the guy that finished right behind Rupp was offered the super shoes but didn't wear them, but I even feel like that's not fair because how would he know? He, he hasn't been testing them as much as Rupp. It's just not fair. But Walton acts like this is unique to our sport. You know, who can afford the technology? That, that this That's not true. It happens all the time in wheelchair racing. I, mean, I was listening to the um, 
to uh, Wheel.com's Wheelfast podcast this week, and they were talking about the $25,000 BMW uh, X3 versus the standard $12,000 Tomahawkey X4 III. And it's, they're having the same controversy there. Are you serious? Yeah. You all know about this? There's no way you're listening to wheel.com podcast. <laughs> but that's probably true. Actually, Robert, I think the top wheelchair, sh- aren't they 100 grand? I think I heard him say that on Chicago Marathon. Was that pretty smooth? I said the wheel.com actually was pretty smooth. I wasn't, I wasn't totally like registering what you were saying. And I was like, wow, Robert, this is kind of shocking. It was kind of like the tweet the Babylon B guy did it. I just made that up, folks. Just made it up. But it does happen in wheelchair racing. Another reason why it should not be equal to running. I actually liked Love John's idea from earlier in the podcast of like we could pay out the prize money as a percentage of entrance because it's all funneled by the mass entrance anyway. So however mass entrance are on wheelchairs, they could use that for prize purse. And same thing for the running. All right. Well, I think that's most of our topics here we wanted to hit for the week. We did mention earlier NCAA cross country. I don't know if you had any lingering thoughts on the conference action, Robert or Weldon, that you wanted to address. Weldon had boots on the ground coverage at the Haps back in Van Colton Park. It was nice to see that, even if his Yale Bulldogs tasted defeat to my Dartmouth Big Green. But anything else you guys wanted to say on conference weekend? John, our, our coach was out with COVID. I didn't know that was still happening. But it's fitting that Yale, which locked down more than most schools, had a coach out with COVID, but building for the future, building for the future. And I, I didn't know this, John. I was reading your conference recap that you guys wrote. I had no idea that Harvard has not won the Heps in over 50 years, which was great news to me. If Yale hasn't won in nearly 80, I'm glad Harvard hasn't won in 50. But I don't want them winning in 50 and getting like a pat in the back for that. No, when we win after 80, it's going to be great. For the record, folks, the Harvard women won the Habs this year. I think Weldon meant to say the Harvard men have not won in 50 years. Yes, he did. We were talking about men's cross country, so I don't think that's too much of a leap to assume. But it's interesting, though, because I'm like, oh, Harvard, they're a great program right now because they have Acer Iverson, they have Graham Blanks, they had Matthew Pereira. They had three All-Americans last year. Like, They're a good team. They could be top... 20 in NCAAs, yet they can't get by Princeton in the Ivy League. So it's kind of a testament to how strong a couple of those teams are right now. They had three All-Americans? Yes, they had three All-Americans last year, but they did not win the Haps. Wow. They had to be the first team at NCAAs though, right? Yes. John, we got to encourage people to join the Supporters Club podcast. I mean, we had a Supporters Club podcast Last Friday, 50 minutes just on the NCA cross country. So that may not be everybody's cup of tea, but I'm sure the TCS New York City Marathon is your cup of tea if you're listening. John and I will be there Thursday speaking to Galen Rupp. I'll say right now for the record, there is no way I ask him about Alberto Salazar, John. So if anyone's going to do it from what's run, it'll be you. Yeah, it's like I thought you guys didn't talk to Galen. You always leave that assignment for me at these meets. I had checked out. Like I was made to be the bad guy for all these years. I just kind of quit poor journalism on my part. But Alberto always just I don't know. Also, I wasn't the one 
John, you were grabbed by the masseuse, <laughs> grabbed your arm at one time. It wasn't. The, it was Darren Treasure, the pseudo sports psychologist. I, and you kept going, John. No PTSD from you. I, I checked out. But Helen O'Berry, we'll be talking to her. It's Gabriel Salas or Gabriel Salasie, John. I think it's Gab- I think they pronounce all of them Gabriel Salasie, though it's spelled like Gabriel Salas. Albert Career, Evans Shabet. I guess John seems to be all on the unsponsored bandwagon. Burrito boy. Scott Fable. I mean, well, it's I don't know if I'm on the bandwagon, but he's coming off a great race in Boston. It's also shocking to me that it's New York City Marathon week and he still hasn't had a sponsor announced. He ran 208 at the Boston Marathon and he doesn't have a sponsor? How is this possible? I got the singlet. Should we take it there and just say, hey, what's the number? Let's Run Supporters Club members. Everyone call us. one 844 run You can also text that number. Just text us. How much should we pay Scott Fauble to wear the Let's Run singlet? John, are they those stupid logo restrictions? It might be too big, but I, if I had to wear the singlet in 2003, I think I ran New York. No, no, 2001, right after 9-11. He should be allowed to wear it now. Should I give a free plug? Puma, you're on the singlet. But big bucks, otherwise we tape it up. Well, how, how about we offer Jenny Simpson to wear the singlet, uh, the 5K champs on Saturday? Oh, we're at the 5K championships? Maybe we should have a meetup somewhere. But me with the two-year-old going back in the city. Well, she's in sleep at seven. Saturday night, or maybe during the race. We always throw it out there. No one comes up with a great idea because... John always wants to be at the finish, but if I take on more of the CEO rule, I'll just hang out at the bar all, all afternoon. First Avenue, your bars are full with, well, I don't know if they're running fans, but they're people who want to take advantage of day drinking. It's going to be a glorious weekend. Sunny weather, warm temperatures. I'm really looking forward to this. Brighton's going to be beating Wolverhampton Wanderers on Saturday morning. That'll be great. So yeah, it should be, should be a lot of fun. Uh-oh, bad news. I just checked. Crystal Palace plays Sunday at 9 a.m. For real? Oh, no. Guess you'll be covering the race by yourself, John. Just kidding. <laughs> I'll be at that soccer bar up there by the Empire State Building. I mean, look, I, I'm just going to throw it out there. I had to cover the 2017 Boston Marathon while Brighton were earning promotion to the Premier League for the first time ever. They were playing at the same time if I had to miss that game, you can miss a Crystal Palace regular season Premier League game. All right, I'll miss it. Texas. Any meetup ideas? How much money should we give Scott Fobble to wear the Let's Run singlet? I mean, hopefully, if he's got the like, who was it, Lulu Lemon or someone else? If he wears some other random singlet, they better be paying him. Because I think we should. Who's his age, John? Josh Cox? Josh Cox. Well, the one thing I wonder is like, what if he's gone to contract offers, but doesn't like the shoes? He just says, I'm going to run one more marathon in Nikes because I know they're the best shoe or I, I, they work really well. I mean, Nell Rojas was unsponsored and when she was the top American in Boston last year. Then she gets an Adidas deal. 
but she doesn't like the shoes and she goes back to Nike, runs Boston again, finishes the top America again. And now she actually has a Nike deal. So I don't know. I, 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 I don't like constantly bringing up to unsponsored athletes. Oh, when are you going to get sponsored? That sort of thing. But to me, this is a pretty big deal that Scott Farble is one of the top three American marathoners right now. Doesn't have a shoe contract. I'd like to know why. I guess I'll ask him when I, when we see them this weekend. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm pretty sure John doesn't have a Nike deal, but he just likes to talk about the shoes for free. Wishing you how this thing works for the rest of the running industry. They get paid and then they hype up whatever the latest thing is. John just does it for free. All right, that's going to do it this week. Everyone, tune in Friday for our New York City Marathon preview. Until then, have a good week.